0: I was <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. I don't think a father could be more proud than a son. My wife and I knew when he was three years old, and this is not an exaggeration, we knew the hand of God was on him. When you told him to do something, he did it. I don't ever remember ever spanking him. Out of our three kids, he was by far the most obedient. And a part of that is God's grace, and a part of that is having two godly sisters six years older than him. (laughs) And he was smart enough to watch them get in trouble and to learn how not to do that. (laughs) So anyway, it's a privilege again to be with you, to see what God's doing in your lives, and to just trust that what he's going to do in the next... 35, 40 minutes or so. You'll walk out of here with one thing in mind. Now that you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Because to whom much has been given, much is required. Let's pray together. Father, we know your presence is in this room. And we just want to practice that presence. We want to honor you with a heart that hungers and thirsts for righteousness. We want to believe right. We want to behave right. And Lord, when we do that, you bless us so much beyond anything we can comprehend. I know the future you have planned for the young people sitting here if they will let you carry out that plan. So, Abba, Father, we're just declaring we love you. And if we really love you, we love this book. And your spirit sheds abroad in our heart, afresh, right now, a a renewed love. And all we can do is ask you to grab our hearts with your holy hands that we could leave this camp far different people than when we came. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. I shared with you a little about how God pretty much paid all of our bills when we were in seminary with me not even having a job. But I kinda gave you the little pieces, I didn't give you the big pieces. I was in charge of a Wednesday night evangelistic outreach basketball volleyball ministry for our youth. And the volleyball was mainly for the young ladies and the basketball was for the young men. Well, oversimplified, as I'm going in for a layup and all my weights on my left leg, a young man kicks me in my Achilles tendon. And I crash to the floor and I've never been in such pain in all my life either before or after and I'm just going to be honest I'm laying on the floor and my first thought is God you have the right guy I just quit teaching I I don't have a job we had to get el cheapo insurance because we didn't have money so we had what was called major medical and I we had no money to even pay long story short take me to the hospital guy examines me. and says, yeah, you tore your Achilles tendon. We don't have any crutches here, but it doesn't look too bad. You should be on your feet in a week. Three months later, I'm still on crutches. I'm driving to Ashland Seminary three days a week, an hour away for, Lord, what am I going to do? How, how, how am I going to get there? And I called the school And what we're looking at here this this last session is the hand of the Lord. When you really believe that God is all you need and will meet your every need in the riches of Christ, and He develops that healthy, reverential trust of the fear of God that we looked at, the next stage of that grace is you're going to see The hand of God on your life in ways you can never anticipate, blessing you in ways that you would never imagine because you have chosen to bless Him by trusting Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and being, and having a healthy biblical fear of the Lord, and just watching Him shape your decisions and your life for His glory. Because God loves blessing people who bless him. So, I'm at church. I'm hobbling around on crutches. This man approaches me, and I've seen him, and I think I know who he is. And he said, are you Rory Winnicka? I said, yes. He said, are you the one that led the Bible study in the Garfield High School District? I said, yeah, about a year ago. And he said, yeah, my niece was in that and it changed her life. And I just want to thank you for that. He said, but here's my question. She told me you were a college prep English teacher. I said, yeah. He said, well, Saturday there's a men's breakfast, and obviously you're not going to drive to get there. He said, you know, I just live two miles from you. Can I pick you up? And at my expense, I want to take you to this breakfast. And I said, OK. So we're getting in line, and I'm on crutches, and he's holding two trays at a men's gathering. And he said, tell me more about your college prep English background. And I said, well, I teach college prep English. I don't know what else to say. And he said, well, I have a question to pose you. Have you ever edited a book? I said, no. Said, how hard would that be? I said, not at all. English is English. <laughs> he said, well, I'm a professor at Akron University, and I just wrote a book for my computer class, and I sent it to my publisher, and my publisher said, we're not even going to try and edit this. This is a mess. So they sent his manuscript back to him and said. We're just going to lay this in your lap. You're going to have to find someone that will edit this. He said, do you think you could edit that? <laughs> and I said, well, if a publishing company doesn't have the quality of people to do it, I'm going to at least try. And so he said, well, if they said you would do that, because I told them that you might take this on, he said, I'm just going to give you the first 25 pages. Long story short, when I was done editing the 25 pages, it was edited down to 17. Because this guy was just repetitious and wordy and just saying things that didn't need to be said. And, and, and so I said, well, here's what it is. But don't be disappointed because there's like red markings all over it. And if you're going to retype it and send it back, let's see what they say. So about a week later, he calls me and said, they told me to hire you. I said, oh, okay. I said, what does that mean? He said, well, in about two weeks, you should be getting a check for $2,500. And I said, whoa, I wasn't expecting that. I mean, it's not even done yet. And they said, no, that's that's payment number one. And he said, I'm going to give you the rest of the book. And it took me about 10 weeks to edit it out. And his 98 pages ended up being about 69. That's how wordy he was. Long story short, he sent it back. They printed the book. They sent me another check for $2,500. That paid almost all of our electric bills and hospital bills and everything up to that point in time. And, you know, we were blessed by the money on the windshield and in the hand. But we just thought, <laughs> we're still going to be up to our eyeballs in debt when this is all done. And when it was all over, I thought it took an Achilles tendon tear and for me to be in agony and for God to come out of the blue. And all of a sudden, somebody's asking me to edit a book when I've never edited a book in my life. And then God just reminded me there's no coincidences in life. And the days that we feel like things are crashing and burning, God says, oh, no, you you have no idea what I want you to learn through this trial. Because one of the things I think I've said already over and over is a faith that can't be tested, what? Can't be trusted. And God's always refining that faith. Well, to just wrap this up a little bit, I was on crutches for three months and one of the pastors saw me coming down the hall and said what are you doing still being on crutches I, said, I can't afford a doctor so I'm just waiting for I don't know what I'm waiting for and he said well let me make a phone call and he called the top neurosurgeon in the state who just happened to go to our church he said you've got an appointment tomorrow morning at 8 he said go in and see him it's no cost to you And ironically, I didn't even know this guy that well, but I had his uh, son and daughter in my youth group. Uh, I was just getting to know them, I should say, that was gonna happen in the youth group. Well, long story short, he takes the x-rays, he comes back, and he's shaking his head no, and I'm thinking, oh my. And then he smiled. I said, speak, (laughs) speak, please tell me what's going on here. He says, I've never seen this in 28 years of surgery. Your Achilles attached itself back to your leg. He said, that's unheard of. He said, it's all God. It's all God. That just doesn't happen. A man in our church, Matt Bradley, had Achilles surgery. And I asked him, and he said, oh, no. They they told me without surgery, that will not heal. So again, to just kind of set this tone, when you're in the center of God's will, He takes care of you, and the hand of God never, ever, ever leaves you or forsakes you. That's why Hebrews says He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Because this is when I kind of started journaling regarding, uh, there's so many things happening right now, there's just no explanation to it. And now it's 45 years later, and I'm still entering about once every three weeks, a hand of God answer to prayer within our ministry or within our family, because that's what God is in the business of doing if we'll trust Him and have a healthy biblical fear. And let God be God. So the context again. Remember to thirst for God in dark days. You were just singing these songs. The challenges of living in an unsaved world. A crazy world now. Of confusion and trials. And we're not going to look up all of these. But David lays that out in Psalm 42 verses 1 to 8. And you can look it up later. It's a very powerful uh, section of scripture. So the content is simply the hand of God. There's two phrases in the Bible, the hand of God and the hand of the Lord. And we've already talked about that holy pattern where God besets you before and behind, lays his hand upon you. Such knowledge is too wonderful. It's awesome for me to even reach up and grab onto. I cannot, I couldn't have planned it this way is what the verse is basically saying. And that's why the Bible reminds us in Romans 8, as most of you know, if God be for us, what? Who can be against us? That God, who spared not his own son, but freely gave him up for us all, will he not? He also freely gave you everything you need, not what you want, but he's promised to meet your every need in the riches of Christ. So, in this context, just a, a couple of examples. Uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 1 and verse 66. Most of you are familiar with the reality that the last book of the Old Testament is Malachi. And one of the major prophecies of Malachi was that one day there's going to be a forerunner coming. And a forerunner, some of you know, is when the king is coming into the city, they have a forerunner who goes out ahead of time and says, The king is coming! The King is coming. The King is coming. And in this case, the forerunner was going to be John the Baptist, who was going to remind the people, Jesus is coming. The King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus is coming. And in Luke 1, verse 66, as is what we're going to look at. They heard John crying this out. And all they that heard them, laid them up on their hearts, heard heard these statements he was saying, saying, what manner of child is this? Be the picture of the, the birth of John the Baptist, actually. Exclamation point. And there aren't many of those in your Bible, but when there is, you stop and say, this has to be critical for God to use an exclamation point. And the hand of the Lord was with him. John the Baptist in this context. And his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, fulfilling this prophecy that, well, if John the Baptist is coming, according to Malachi, then Jesus is coming also in the context of it. So this is a divine fulfillment of the forerunner, where God's hand is on this very special man. There's only one forerunner. John the Baptist, and he's announcing this. And I'm just giving you some examples as we look at this phrase, the hand of the Lord. Let her be the divine anointing of preaching the gospel in the Spirit's power. Turn with me to Acts chapter 11. And again, we're not going to look at all of it, but all of these are just how the hand of God is always revealing Himself. You can trust me. You can trust me. Just have a healthy fear of God and watch me fulfill the things that I've promised. Acts 11, verse 29, just for the sake of time. As a matter of fact, I don't want to forsake time right now. Verse 19, Now they which were scattered abroad, being persecuted upon the persecution that arose about Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but the Jews only, because God always reached the Jews first. And some of them were men of Cyprus, Cyrene, and when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord, because they're preaching the word of God the way God told them to, which is rare in America today, and the hand of God was with them, Colon, and as a result of the hand of God being with them, and a great number of people believed, and the way you really prove that you believe is you turn unto the Lord, which means you have to first turn from yourself. I'm not going to live for me anymore. I'm going to live for him, is the context of this. Letter C, remember in this context, the hand of God and the way His power just crushed evil scenarios where the devil was trying to stop God's work, was trying to hinder God's leaders. Turn to Acts 13, just a little bit to your right. Verses 6 to 12. And when they had gone through the Isle of Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, which happens to mean son of Jesus. Satan is always counterfeiting something that God is doing or attempting to which was the deputy of the county, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man, which means you're very wise, who called for Barnabas and Saul who were doing the work of God and desired to hear the word of God. But Elimus the sorcerer, for so his name means, meaning he's a counterfeit, a sorcerer, withstood them, tried to shut them down seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, who had just gotten saved, a man who was trying to kill the Jews, is now (laughs) preaching to the Jews, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him and said, Oh, full of all subtlety. You're trying to hide this. And all mischief... Thou child of the devil. And whether you want to believe it or not, more than half the pastors in the country today are the child of the devil. That's why America is in such a mess, because everyone's confused. They don't know what the difference is between religion and a real relationship that changes your life through Jesus Christ. Therefore, he's the enemy of all righteousness. He doesn't want you believing right because he doesn't want you behaving right. He doesn't want you being a light in a dark world. Wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now behold, don't miss this, the hand of the Lord is upon thee and thou shalt be blind. I mean, if I had the power right now to say, hey, you, you've not been listening to me three days. You're blind. And you went blind. Would I have your attention? I mean, this is the power that God is giving to his apostles in the book of Acts because he's trying to prove to these Jews that you killed the Christ. You killed the Messiah. There were a there were hundred prophecies that He was coming. I told you in advance. And you still killed Him. In spite of Isaiah telling you, here's ten miracles He's going to do, roughly. And, and that's going to be infallible proof that He's the Christ and He does those ten miracles and you still kill Him. So the context here. He's blind, not seeing the sun for a season, it means a while. And immediately there fell on him a mist, a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Then when the deputy, then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed, and pay close attention, being astonished. At the doctrine, not the miracle. God's not in the miracle business. The whole charismatic movement is based on garbage. That if you really know God, He's going to give you a miracle, 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 miracle. You're going to speak in tongues, blah, 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 blah. That's all out of the throat of hell. That's not God's message. They're astonished at the doctrine, the teaching that was coming. And Satan's always trying to cheapen the work of God with counterfeit things. I mean, I've worked with two FBI men in my church in the past, and one of them's job was teaching classes on counterfeit money. And I said, Well, make this as simple for me as you can. How do you teach how to spot counterfeit money? And he said, It's simple. All we do is have them study the real thing. And once you know what all the markings are of a dollar bill, and they're not going to counterfeit dollar bills, they counterfeit hundred dollar bills, okay? So once you've seen the real thing, you can spot the counterfeit. It's that easy. Same thing is true. Once you've met the real Christ, and you've studied a real Bible, you're going to spot counterfeit stuff without any problems whatsoever. Because I'll tell you right now in America, there's a whole lot more counterfeit professing Christians than there are real ones. And again, that's why America is so dark. So just some other aspects to this. uh, Just little ones, and they're not so little. Um, You remember they were threatening Hezekiah to kill him. Hezekiah drops on his knees and prays. And an angel of the Lord comes in the middle of the night and kills 185 Assyrian soldiers. Now, you read Assyrian history books, and they'll tell you there was a plague. A plague just happened to kill 185,000 soldiers, but nobody else? Always counterfeiting. Always And again, you can read that in Isaiah 37. Daniel, his prayers delivered him from the lion's den. And not only got him out, as God sent an angel to shut the lion's mouth, God then in turn killed the liars that threw him in there. Sometimes God gives good people, you reap what you sow when you spit in God's face. You you better be ready for that. And finally, Esther's boldness when... uh, what was it, Haman has a plan to kill all the Jews, all of them. And she becomes aware of it, and there's a, there's a statement in the Bible, in such a time as this, a critical point in history, she stands up and exposes this plot. And most of you know the story, Haman built gallows to hang all these Jews on. And the Bible says you reap what you sow. Well, they hung Haman on the gallows that he built to kill the Jews. And all of those scenarios are just the hand of God protecting the people that are doing his work personally and prayerfully. So let's just make some applications regarding this context of the hand of God. Remember your calling to make a difference. We've already talked about this wherever you go, your workplace, your school, you know, whatever it is, your next-door neighbor, God has given you a message. And He's given you a heart to carry out that message. That's why Jude 20 says, just have compassion and make a difference. Do you remember how often Jesus, when He saw the multitude, it said He had compassion on them? He was burdened for lost souls. And we need to have that same burden as well. And then, you know, I used to uh, tell my teenagers in the youth group, just bloom where you're planted. If you work at McDonald's, that's the people you reach. You know, people at school, people that you're on the baseball team. Whoever you have that circle of influence with, that's where God has placed you to be a bright light in a very dark world. So in this context, just simple applications. Pray for God to inflame your heart with a passion. There's a statement in 1 Corinthians 16, 15. And if you remember, the Corinthian church was a mess. But when Paul finally started to straighten it out, it said they they became addicted to ministry. Once you've had the joy of leading someone to the Lord, Once you've had the joy of being on a mission trip and leading 10, 20, 30 people to the Lord, or seeing how real people like uh, the Browns are in Mexico, it's the, the most, I've dealt with 60 to 70 different missionary families over 45 years of ministry. I've never met a Brian and Heidi Brown. No one, I mean, no one compares To their heart for people. I I lived with Brian for about five days and I couldn't believe this guy. He's up at five o'clock in the morning and goes to bed at midnight. Every single day. And as I was leaving, I said to Brian, you can't keep up this schedule. You cannot. You are going to burn out. I guarantee you, you've got two kids at home. You've got a wife. You can't sacrifice your family on the altar of ministry those of you that are thinking about ministry, don't ever forget that one. That's one of Satan's ways to destroy your ministry, is you're more concerned with the ministry than building your own marriage and your family. And that's why so many men I know, I've worked with 45 pastors over the last 45 years, and only one of them is still in ministry, doing the work of ministry. I know one that committed suicide. I know too many that their wives divorced them because they were married to the church and not to her. So keeping things balanced is so critical. We've already talked about just praying for your school to be evangelized. I mean, we didn't even have to tell our children that. Our oldest daughter was an honorable mention All-State softball player as a freshman and her goal was to reach the entire softball team. And she did. Every one of them came to church. As a freshman, she was coming into a basketball team that had five returning seniors. And she broke the starting lineup. As a freshman, on her ball mitt, she had a Bible verse on every finger on the back and so as they were sitting in a van in a rained out game, and a kid, one girl would say, what's all that writing on your mat? She has 45 minutes to share Christ. And that, that was her ministry. The whole basketball team, the whole softball team basically came to church. Our daughter Chrissy was the type of kid that's, you know, in first grade and she, she led a girl on the monkey bars to Christ. And I said, well, how did you do that? <laughs> And she said, we just start talking about Jesus. And she said, well, I don't know what that means, and so forth and so on. When people see your life being a bright light for Jesus, our oldest daughter was voted most respected in her class in her senior year by all of her peers because of her love for people. She didn't do it to get a badge on her shirt. I led so-and-so to the Lord or had old. No, it was all for Jesus. Our middle daughter, Chrissy, got the Chrysler Youth Award when she graduated, given by the teachers and the, the office staff and the principal as the most respected young lady in her entire class. Stevens voted class president because of his love for people. Do people really see how much... The hand of God is moving you to love people, and here's the challenge: to love people you don't even like. Only God can do that, and it's a choice to be addicted to ministry and to to use whatever you can, whether it's a home Bible study or, or, or whatever you can, to reach people. Let her see. Pray for a heart like Mary's. Whose only desire in life was to sit at Jesus' feet, to have that attitude. There's nothing more important I can do to start my day. There are several Psalms that say, While my head is on the pillow, I'm talking to God. Those that seek me early will find me in Psalms. There are too many people who come to me and say, You know, I get up in the morning, I got so many things to do, I have my devotions at the end of the day. Sorry, it's too late? The day's over. Why would God feed your soul and put you to sleep? Let Him feed your soul so you can go out and be a true ambassador for Jesus Christ. Letter D, as the disciples were salt and light, as Jesus said in Matthew 5, that's what they needed to be. Just to use the gifts God's given you. Bloom where you're planted. You know where your strengths are. That's why I like 1 John 4.17. It says, As Jesus is in this world... So are we. The first time I read that, I thought, wow. Well, I need to back away and chew on that. And then it hit me. What's he saying? You are to be Jesus with skin on wherever you go. Without even telling people how much you love the Lord. I'll guarantee you, I know some of you sitting here, and I know your testimonies at school. And the kids in your school know that you love the Lord and you don't even have to tell them. Be Jesus with skin on. There's a precious lady I've known for many, many years, and I did her wedding many, many years ago. And her name is Terry Frauman. And Terry spent a lot of time, a lot of time at Cleveland Clinic waiting for a kidney waiting for a kidney you know what the nurses said when they knew she was coming back to the clinic they said oh that's the girl with the Bible and you I know your mother she's so humble but every single medical person at Cleveland Clinic knew Terry Fromman because of the years that she was there on and off. Oh, that's the girl with the Bible. What a testimony. And it's not like she paraded it around, that's who she was. I can't hide who I am. And God just says, Will you just be real for me? Because if you will, I will really use you to do things that you'll never be able to explain. Letter E, again, just serve God effectively. Remember before, honor is humility. You know, if Jesus had to humble himself in Philippians 2, humility is a big part of how much God can use us because then we're getting out of the way. We're not doing anything for self-enggrandizement or somebody patting us on, on the shoulder. Motive is everything of why you're doing this. Remember, love keeps no record of wrongs. You know, there are times that Satan just wants us to get bitter. And that will crush your ministry instantly. Because the Holy Spirit will not tolerate an unforgiving heart in light of how much Jesus has forgiven me of and forgiven you of. And I need to treat other people the way Jesus has treated me and all the rotten sins I committed before he saved my soul at the age of 23. That's why scripture says, be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving, just as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. I have an impossible debt to repay. I am a debtor. I can never repay that Jesus saved my soul and changed my life, let alone giving me a fantastic family and a wife and a church and opportunities to minister to young people. You know why I love working with young people? It's easier to work with clay that's soft. You're still on that learning curve in life. You're still figuring things out. And when you try and work with somebody who's 50 years old, their minds are already made up. Don't bother me. I know everything I need to know. Just leave me alone. Okay? I'll go back to my high school kids. (laughs) They're at least teachable in that context. Repent quickly and often. Repent just means change of mind. If you see yourself even developing an attitude towards someone, especially your parents, you stop that attitude from becoming an action by saying, God, you've got to stop this right now because I don't like where my mind's going right now. And my mind is usually going where my heart is leading me. And that's why the Bible says, keep your heart with all diligence. Why? For out of it are the issues of life. Every issue in life that's important to you and God, God will help you guard your heart with having the right attitude and actions to carry out what God wants you to do. You know, this is hard to pray. (laughs) But God, if I don't get rid of this attitude, would you break me? Whoa, you better be ready if you're going to pray that. Because he will break you. But God never breaks you to hurt you. He breaks you to set you free from something that's going to poison you if you don't deal with it. God breaks you to bless you. And to say you're not going to enjoy life if you're going to live it like that. Letter H, remember God's promises to perfect holiness in the fear of God. Turn with me on this one to 2 Corinthians. I'm sure you've gone over this in Sunday school in your youth group. But this is one of those things that where you're at in your stage of life right now. I had to close with this because this is my heart for everything we've said for three sessions. And if you can really take this to heart, 2 Corinthians 6.14. And I know you've heard this, but there are times God says, you need to relearn this. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Why? For what fellowship hath righteousness, you believe right, behave right, And unrighteousness, people who don't believe right and don't behave right. And what communion or sweet fellowship has light with darkness? Now, all you had to do was turn on these lights and the darkness disappears. And the same thing is true in life. Let God give you what's called enlightened eyes of understanding that you know the hope of your calling in Ephesians. It's pretty simple in life. And what concord or harmony hath Christ with Belial or Satan? Or what part hath the, bel- the excuse me hath he that believeth with an infidel? Infidel means unfaithful. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? Because re- all religion is based on idols. For ye, if you really are. Saved, your body is the temple of the living God because the moment you got saved, Jesus' spirit moved right inside of you. As God has said, predicted in the Old Testament, I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them And be ye separate from people that are wrecking your life. And you're letting them do it. And touch not the unclean thing, because that's all they have to offer you, is self-destructive garbage. Alcohol, drugs, immorality, everything that Satan puts on his plate is designed to kill you, spiritually and eventually physically. And I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Now that's so critical, but whenever you have a major critical passage in Scripture, it's very common that the next chapter will have the word, therefore. Having therefore these promises of taking care of you, the hand of God being on you, dearly beloved, and that's the word agape, it's unconditional love. It's not because you earn the love. God is love. Let us, every time you see let us, it means it's a choice. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness that Satan offers every day in your schools of the flesh and spirit. Because here's the bottom line of God's hand on you, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Are you more in love with Jesus today than you were a month ago? It's a simple question to ask yourself and to answer. And if you're going to journal, put that in your journal about every two weeks. Do you see the love of God just getting a little stronger grip on your life? Because that love of God is just not to fill you and I. It's to be given away in some fashion. A greater love for your mother, your father, one of your siblings in the home. Wherever you know, you you know when you're shortchanging people from the love they deserve and you're not giving it to them. Especially when you don't respect your parents you have no idea what they went through to bring you into this world and to try and meet your every need so to wrap this up number one it's pretty simple do your very best to try and have godly friends they're priceless it's a million dollar gift spiritually To have someone that really is a godly friend who really cares about you, that when you have a need, they will be there. Either personally or through a text or a phone call, whatever it is, they will be there. Do you have that kind of a friend that you can trust that much? Because those types of people will not only serve you, they're serving other people. You can read that in 1 Samuel 12 where he talks about, you know, serve the Lord with all your heart and so forth and so on and being around the right people. Number two, when that is true, when you have godly friends, that usually means you're pretty close to God. And God's doing something in your life. So then God will guide you, inspiring you to make sure you're making the best dating choices. You can't date godly people if you don't have any godly friends. It's not going to happen. You know, Deuteronomy 22.10, it talks about you can't put together in a yoke an ass and an oxen because they hate each other. They're contrary to each other. An ass is just stupid. It's actually the, the biblical word for a stubborn, lost soul. (laughs) Sometimes in culture, they're even getting it right on TV. You're just an ass. Well, the biblical aspect of that is, yeah, you are in the process of just being an idiot, and you're on a path of self-destruction. Whereas an oxen is hard-working. When the weight is too heavy and you have two oxen in those yoke, they will get on their knees, and some of you know this, and they will just do whatever they can to get what the Master asked them to do to where it needs to go. And that's why Amos says two can't walk together unless they be agreed. Do you really, really know this person? You know, I've told young people, when you find yourself getting attractive as a young man to a young lady, watch how that young lady treats her father. And you'll have a pretty good idea of how they're going to treat their husband. And vice versa. Watch how a young man treats his mother. And you're going to have a pretty good idea how he's going to treat you. God's always giving us windows because he wants us to have the best possible. You know, that's the only way God's going to bring you a godly spouse and a godly marriage. And that's why Jeremiah 29 says, You will seek me and you find, will find me when you seek me with all your what? heart see if you're seeking God with all your heart he will help you seek the right things in life especially the person that he wants you to date and I've seen so many of these scenarios I had two young ladies in my youth group they were about a year apart very intelligent very attractive love the Lord one of them came from a good home, so she, she knew standards, and the other one came from a very bad home, but she escaped that by having the right friends at her school. Both of them married very good-looking, good sense of humor, great guys, you know, funny, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> And both of them, within 18 months, were in the emergency room because their husbands had beat them to a pulp and thrown one down two flights of stairs. And it broke my heart because I saw the potential. There were six young men in our youth group that would have loved to have dated them, but for some reason they they went outside the youth group to somebody that they were just attracted to. The third scenario was a young man that I grew up with. Mr. Ohio in football, defensively. The number one football player in the state of Ohio told me that he was getting ready to get married and asked me to be in his wedding. And I pulled his fiancee aside and said, do you know he got a young lady pregnant when she was 17 and he was 18? He married her. And a year later, they got divorced. Do you know this? And she said, yes, but he's different now. Well, I've known him for 20 years. How is he different? Well, we're at church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. We're in a Bible study. Okay. Are you sure that that study and that church and that time with the Lord is shaping his life and being a better man? Oh, Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I challenged him. I was in his wedding. Thirteen months later, she calls me sobbing. And I won't even tell you what he did to her. When a young man has a track record like that, you better see fruit hanging on the vine that weighs a 1,000 pounds. I've met too many young men that are very good at God talk, that can put on the show, that can go to church. But if you're looking real closely, is he praying with you? Do you have any kind of spiritual discussions at all in your relationship before you get married? Is he leading you into new levels of maturity together? It's not rocket science. If there's anything you don't want to be in a hurry over, it's that choice. Because the Lord wants marriage to be a permanent scenario. Just as Christ being the bride and the bridegroom at the church, it's a permanent connection. And I was telling my wife this because she loves young people. and A lot of you sat at our table and she said, okay, tell me what you're going to be teaching them. And I brought this up and she said, you're not going to stop there, are you? I said, what do you mean? She said, don't you dare not tell them there are Jezebels out there too. (laughs) Don't just say there are guys that are jerks. There are counterfeit women out there that want to reel in that good looking man, so forth and so on. And it's both sides of the fence. And I just kind of smiled and said, that's a good point. (laughs) But I've never dealt with that one personally, but she has. Because she counsels women constantly who right now, even at our church or marriages, may not even make it. So as we wrap this up, one of the most important things, number four, remember growing Christians always have growing marriages, always, always, always. And when I'm doing premarital counseling, I draw a triangle and I said, look, right now, you're sure you love each other. You're sure you know each other. But right now, if I draw that triangle, and I've got the young man on this side and the young lady on this side, I said, right now, even though you think you know each other and you are pretty sure you love each other, there's a major gap. And if you're truly both saved and you're growing, as you grow, you will grow up that triangle and the gap will get smaller And smaller and smaller, because at the top of the triangle is Jesus Christ. And he's brought the two of you together to help each other in that journey to become more Christ-like. So the day you have children, your children have a chance of really understanding what a Christ-centered, and I didn't say Christian, That's too loose. Oh, we have a Christian marriage. That doesn't mean anything. Do you have a Christ-centered marriage where he's helping you grow and she's helping him grow? And that's the reality. I mean, by the grace of God, you know god gave me a woman i'm i'm trying to buy a used car from a neighbor who i was told for sale and he said it's it's, it's not for sale what are you doing here and i said well, a friend told me you know i i was driving a car at the drag strip and i got saved and thought i can't keep pouring money into this goofy habit and hobby of racing a car it's just stupid and i didn't know that until i got saved and lo and behold, I'm standing there talking to him, and I found out, well, I used to hunt with you. I went hunting with you once. And, and so he said, well, come in and sit down. And my wife-to-be walks in the room from shopping. And I thought, "Whoo!" <laughs> Maybe God brought me here. <laughs> Long story short, we were married a year later, and it's the best thing that ever happened to me after being married to Christ. That was a gift. That was all the hand of God. I just want the hand of God to be on each and every one of you and for you to allow it. I just want you to taste a little bit of what this is and how simple it is according to the word of the Lord. Because as we wrap this up, you know, even in marital settings, number five, one of the simplest things I I tell them, and you'll find this out when you're dating, all conflicts that you ever face are solvable at the foot of the cross. Everything. There's no such thing. I hear this thing. well, we're, we're getting a divorce because there's irreconcilable differences. Baloney. You say you're both saved. How can it be irreconcilable when Jesus reconciled your soul to go to heaven? If he can reconcile and change your life, you don't think he can fix the battlegrounds that you have in marriage? Don't feed me that line. You meet at the foot of the cross, and you both are willing to die to self. God will solve anything that you face. And this is the most beautiful thing, number six. Bible-preaching churches that I've been in have godly parents, godly children, godly teenagers, godly young married couples, I can't thank God enough for bringing me to this church, you know, 17 years ago, and the miracles that God is doing. Not that we're the only church, don't get me wrong. But I've seen how God has built these strong marriages in our church. Several of them are sitting here. I mean, I knew Andy Spate when he was 12 years old, and I said, man, you're so full of yourself. You're, you're only 12 years old, and you're full of yourself. <laughs> and I watched this young man... Grow into a soldier for God. I you knew he and Stephen were good friends. We took him on vacation with us, and, and what God's done, and with he and Jamie. I mean, it, it's a miracle of grace, and that's why they're here. That's why the shieldings, you know, are here. You, you see the hand of God. And finally, please remember, if you don't do anything else, little, please go home and tell your parents how much you appreciate them, and make that a habit. Because by hindsight, I wish I had done that more with my parents, and now they're both gone. It's too late. Never take for granted, especially if you have awesome Christian parents that are working so hard to keep you on the straight and narrow. And I just want to close with one thought, because I wrote at the bottom of this, just pray, I just praise God for this youth group and what I see happening. But I wanted to share one other thing with you that I had forgotten. Some of you over the last two years maybe have seen a man come into the back of the sanctuary in a wheelchair. That young man I met when I was 10 years old. He was a school teacher. When my dad was so busy building a business, he had no time for me. And this man lived two blocks from me. And I got to know him And he started taking several of the boys on my baseball team, got his free Y memberships, taught me how to swim, helped me keep my head screwed on straight when I felt it was going to fall off because I was getting no guidance from my dad. So I knew the man for 63 years. I stayed in touch with him because of the effect he had on me when I was 10 to the age of 15. And he became paralyzed. So I started meeting him at his home every week to have a Bible study. And there was a caretaker, if you've seen a woman that always rolled him in, named Joanne. The second time she came to our church, she called me on the phone. And she's sobbing. And I said, oh no. I was thinking Bob died. And as soon as I said, oh, no, she said, no, let, let me gain my composure. And I said, what's wrong? What, what can I do? She said, no, this is a very positive thing. I said, then would you quit crying? <laughs> you, 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 you threw me here. And she said, no, this is the second or third time I've been to your church. And she said, I was speechless. I said, over what? She said, I watched the teenagers down front standing in front of the pulpit, interacting with each other, opening a Bible and talking with each other. She said, I'm in a church where there is zero children, zero teenagers, zero college kids. And I didn't realize what we were missing until I saw what you have. She said, please let the people in charge realize. Don't ever take for granted what you have. Because she's in a church, candidly, where the average age is 78. And they're just dying left and right. And the church is going to close probably in the next couple of weeks because COVID, those that weren't dying, they've just chosen to stay home. Now there's three people in the church. And she said, I just can't get over how sincere these young people seem to be in encouraging each other. And they're standing in the front of the church. She said, even in my old days, when I had kids in church, they were in the back row passing notes and laughing while the preacher's, you know, uh, preaching. And, And she said, these kids even sit down front. See, familiarity breeds contempt. We just take things for granted. Don't ever take for granted this youth group and your leaders. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, you're such a marvelous, giving, blessed God who loves every single person in this room beyond measure. You prove that by letting your son hang on a cross when he was sinless. That he might save me and us who were wretched sinners with no hope, no thought of even a life change and how we could be better or do better. And you brought someone into our life. In some cases, our parents, friends, relatives. But you opened our eyes, and when we saw Jesus, it was like, oh my, why would I not receive this gift? So, Lord, we can't thank you enough. We just praise you because you're worthy of praise. And as we wrap up this week, we just thank you for being such a, an awesome God. And help us to really realize every day how much you really do love us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for the privilege of just being with you. How do you guys know my dad how thankful you are